This podcast is brought to you by the Voinovich School of Leadership and Public Affairs at Ohio University. Hi, everyone. I'm Bev Jones, and this is Jazzed About Work, where we talk about everything that can have an impact on your career. Today, we'll chat with author and leadership expert Karen Huff. She now runs her own thriving consulting firm in Columbus, Ohio. But she started out as an actress. She did improv. You know, where the actors appear on the stage with no script or anything, and they have to make up their lines as they go along? Karen says that a key principle in improv is saying, yes, and? And that same yes practice can transform the way you handle yourself in the workplace. Karen will explain all about it and give us more tips about how to speak with confidence and how to build trust and how to act like a leader. Karen, I I know you have terrific tips about how to speak with confidence and how to build trust and collaboration, and and how people can act more like leaders. But before we get into all of your good suggestions, I'd like to hear more about your career. It's kind of fascinating. How did you start out doing improv in theaters and then turn that into a a, a thriving leadership consulting business? How, How did that path evolve? Oh, my. Oh, Bev, it's a twisty, turny tale, as a matter of fact, like I think a lot of our lives, if I'm not mistaken. Um, I think I just did the next best thing I could do. I really didn't have a big plan, but it's really been an incredible ride. So I, you know, I had been an actor since I was a child, actually. And uh, I did not learn how to do improv comedy until I became an undergraduate at Yale University. And I helped to found the first improv troupe there, uh, went on to help help other Ivy League start their first improv troupe. So I got really deep into it. I loved improv. It was like no other kind of of art form I had ever practiced or any other kind of acting. So I fell in love. And the moment I graduated, I went straight to Chicago to join the Second City Training Company. And I trained and I was actually fortunate enough to perform with them. But I also did all kinds of performance. I did Shakespeare and TV and theater and black box and radio and film. And I was a very lucky actor. You know, I I had a good agent and, and I had a wonderful career. And then fast forward about seven or so years, I'm living in New York with my husband, my career is going great. And I have this crazy opportunity to go into a network engineering startup. Wow, that's a that's a, a big leap. Right. You, you, exactly. It's, it's the moment where I think, well, let's see. I have a humanities major. I'm a professional actor, and I'm going to go into network engineering. Why not? And like any good improviser, I said yes first. Um, and, and they were very great about it. They knew my limitations, but I took classes every night. I crammed. I worked incredibly hard. And for about the next eight years, I was lucky enough to work specifically in network engineering during sort of the crazy start startup time in New York. And uh, I was with one company that went public, uh, one that remained private, and one that was acquired. So it was quite an incredible uh, education. And what was happening is that my co-founders, the other people who I had known very well, who had also done improv, were having some of the same experience as I was, where although I wasn't as experienced in that field, I became quite successful because 
I could think of ideas other people didn't necessarily think of. I could make quick relationships with clients. I could help engineers be more effective in front of clients. I was willing to just go with it or be quite flexible and adaptable when things didn't go our way. And those were the skills of improv. And my my friends and, and other improvisers who had gone into industries like banking were finding the same things. So we started to think, you know, there's something to this. And one of my co-founders was getting her MBA at Wharton. And she said, hey, listen, I think we should ask them if they would let us test this because we've got to make sure there's science behind it. And I think this is really also what has set us apart all of these years is that we started this as a research project. We wanted to prove that not only is improv a cool and fun sort of team building thing to do, but there was a lot more to it. It's a very deep practice. And that as we've applied it over the years to corporate settings, we also have looked at the neuroscience behind it, the psychology, how this human behavioral uh, science applies. And so not only do we create these amazingly engaging events, but they are also backed up by science. And I now have an incredible ensemble of people. And I, I mean, just to fast forward, Wharton was amazing. We worked with them for a number of years. We also have research relationships with like the University of Massachusetts and the Ohio State University. And we continue that work to this day. So there was this moment where I was like, wow, I can, I can keep working and doing this research or I can take a dive. I, I can take a leap. And so I did. And I started with just a phone line by myself in my basement. And Fast forward, it, we are now one of the top 1% of women-owned businesses in the United States. I have wonderful members of my ensemble in uh, four cities across the U.S., and we have incredible clients all over the world. So it's, like I said, it, it's a twisty, turny tale. Wow. And and so your your company is Improv Edge, right? Yes. In Columbus, Ohio? We're but, headquartered here. Mm-hmm. But you, you reach far and wide, it sounds like. Yeah, we have a lot of clients in Europe, uh, many, many here in central Ohio, as well as all over the country, and also in Asia. So let's, can we back up a little bit? I, I'm yeah. still sort of fascinated by what it is um, that's so powerful about improv. And in, in your um, wonderful book, The Improvisation Edge, you, you talk about how improv actors, they, they look like they're doing nothing, but actually they practice and practice and practice, mm-hmm. including um, they practice saying yes and. Uh, can you tell us how that works and uh, how it plays out on the stage and then why it's so powerful as a practice? Sure, sure. You're, you're really getting at the heart of it. So the single foundational principle of improvisation is the concept we call yes and. And, and think about it, Bev. A group of improvisational performers, we walk out on the stage, there's anywhere from four to six of us, and we have no script. We don't have any props, we have no costumes, no makeup. And we have an audience in front of us, and we have to start making something up literally in the moment. We really don't know what's going to happen next. We believe in our team, we trust our team, and we agree to say yes and. So what that means is that if I were, if, if you were my troop member, and I were to walk on stage and say, I am the queen of the universe. The first thing you need to say is. Yes. And. Perfect. So first of all, by saying yes, you are agreeing with me that I'm the queen of the universe. And now the whole audience sees that character on stage in their mind. And you've agreed that that I am that person. And after you say the word and, you're going to add something to it. 
So what character do you think you would choose if I had just made that statement and we were on stage together? Oh, I think I would want to be a sidekick of some type. I, I'd want to be your PR person because this is so exciting. <laughs> That's perfect, right? So maybe you'd say, yes, you are. And I am your new PR professional and we're about to do an interview. Terrific. With the universe media, right? It, it, it's, it's endlessly possible where we can go with this. And so what it means is that, first of all, we agree and we accept what's happening in front of us. And secondly, we take some risk too, because the moment that you become a character in the scene as well, Bev, you are taking on the risk that if it doesn't go well, we both don't have a very good scene. If it goes really well, then we both get to enjoy the applause and, and the success of the evening. So it's about number one saying, yes, you're valid. Yes, you're meaningful. And I think this is what really gets to corporate leaders in particular that we work with. I think often they don't realize that our statistical propensity is to say no first. It, it's a human defense mechanism, but it's so much more powerful and inclusive to say yes. So maybe someone throws out a crazy idea. Maybe they take that chance in a meeting. Maybe your first thought is, oh, gosh, we, we don't have the budget or I don't think we can do that. But if you say no right away or you shake your head or just cross your arms, that's going to shut down that other person's contribution. And they probably won't want to throw any other ideas out after that. But instead, if that leader leans forward and maybe smiles and says, that's an unusual idea. In other words, they're saying, yes, I hear you. And I'd like to hear some more about your thoughts on how we could make it happen. The person feels valued. They have a floor to share. And then all of a sudden, ideas could flow endlessly. Now, maybe it doesn't work. Maybe there isn't enough budget. But the truth of the matter is that that moment of them coming together will make both of them feel more included and more powerful. I love the way you break this down into a two-part process. These two words are really powerful, but the yes and the and are, are powerful in different ways. Uh -huh. the, the yes particularly, that reminds me a little bit of coaching training. I, a lot oh. of coaches like me, I was a lawyer and very often coaches a second or third or whatever cre a career. And one of the things we have to do is give up judgment and give up expertise and just be there in non-judgmental listening. And so coach training might start out with people kind of letting things go and saying yes when they're practicing, maybe with a peer. H have you ever used the yes part of this in, in coach training? Absolutely. And in facilitator training and in leadership training. I, I think you hit the nail on the head there, Beth, because that yes allows the person to say, let's go back to the improv stage for a second. When you said yes to my idea to be the queen of the universe, you gave up maybe your idea that you wanted to be in a veterinary hospital or you wanted to be on the moon, right? And so by saying yes to me, you're saying for the moment, okay, I'm going to let my ideas go to the side and we're going to go in your direction so that we can both figure out what's best here and what we can do together. And I think that definitely speaks to the the, the ethos and the spirit of great coaching and great leadership when people say, let's all have a space to share our ideas and I'm going to jump on board with you right now and then maybe later you'll jump on board with me and we'll do something different that I think about. So you talk in, in um, gosh, one of your books, maybe it was the, uh, I'm remembering Go With It, but mm -hmm. about an improvisational mindset. I, I think I'm starting to get it. Can, can you talk about what you mean by an improvisational mindset? 
Sure. A lot of people call it generous. And what it means is that we're kind of open for anything. We're on the tips of our toes. So on stage, you can imagine somebody, we're, we're ready for anything because we don't know what we're going to hear next. So we lean forward. We're ready to move. We're ready to say yes. We're ready to become what we have to. We're very flexible and adaptable. We might get something we absolutely did not expect at all. Or we may have an audience that's unhappy or an audience member who wants to come up on stage, for heaven's sakes. And we're willing to say yes to all of that to make it work within the possibilities and within the breadth of our expertise. Now, when you take that mindset into business, what it means is that you show up, number one, you show up ready on the tips of your toes, listening first, ready for whatever is going to come. And then when it's your moment to add your expertise or your talent, you're ready to go. You're not sitting back, not paying attention. A lot of it has to do with what we call being in the moment, which I think in, in context of corporate America, we call being present. In other words, not being distracted by all the stuff going around, but when you're talking to someone or when you're working on something, you're very focused on it and you're in the moment and letting it be what it is rather than thinking of other things. And, and that allows you to bring your best self to that task or that project or that conversation. So, so much of leadership is managing from the inside out uh, and and so much of being productive is the same thing. But you're also talking about how this can work in groups, how it can change cultures. If you were to come into a client's office and want they say, you know, our meetings, people are not engaged, our conference calls are general, can you tell us a little more on how you'd use improv as a way to help change the culture? What, what would you do? Well, first of all, we would want to measure what's going on. Um, we're one of the few, uh, I should say, consultants that uses measurement so that we understand what is the human behavior that you want to change. We're very focused on that. And then we would work with our stakeholders to create anything from a series of workshops, maybe a workshop that's preceded by uh, a, a virtual kickoff where we get together on a webinar. It might also include some of our micro learnings, but we have really great about one and two minute videos that are funny, but also meaningful. They teach a lesson so that the people we're working with would have many different kinds of learning. They'd be reading a quick article. They'd be seeing a two minute video. They'd be coming into a, a workshop. And in the workshops, what we do is, first of all, we teach people the principles of improvisation. And those apply to how we collaborate and how we work together as teams. And when you work together in an improvisational way, it allows you to get rid of some of the stuff that really gets in your way. So it, it's funny, uh, my second book, Be the Best Bad Presenter Ever, we actually spend the entire book breaking rules. There are 14 rules that just about anybody would agree are the basis of what we think are good presentations. But from an improv standpoint, they actually get in your way. They make you stiff. They make you nervous. They make you a very ineffective presenter. So as you said, if we were looking at a culture of bad meetings and and places where people didn't feel engaged, we would want to change those conversations and those formats of how people work together. So we kind of break down what they do. We'd introduce new ways of, inter of entering into those moments like meetings or conversations. We give them a whole bunch of skills so they could have quicker, more effective, more meaningful conversations, meetings, conference calls. And then we would practice with them. You know, we don't just sort of talk at them. We put them in practice. They, they play games. They do role plays. They talk to each other. We also don't put anyone on the spot. Um, I think a lot of people think that they're going to come into 
an improv workshop and really feel nervous that they might be asked to do something outside their comfort zone. Well, they do have to move outside their comfort zone, but we never put anybody in a place where they feel so uncomfortable that it's painful, right? We only take volunteers. And so once you create that safe space, then all of a sudden the team starts interacting very, very differently because they know, number one, whatever I say, we'll get a yes and. Number two, I get to try new things. And number three, I need to get rid of some of the things that have stood in my way. Does that make sense? It makes sense. But I'm thinking about our listeners who don't have an opportunity to work with Improv Edge and with your great team. Do you have some suggestions for dreary meetings and conference calls for people? Would it would it be possible just for a group to sit around and practice some improv dialogue? Or what what do you suggest to make meetings sharper and more engaging? Oh, absolutely. So, so number one, part of it is getting everybody and only the people that should be there. I think lots of times there are folks in meetings or calls that don't have to be there and it, it wastes everybody time, everyone's time and pulls down the energy. So number one, getting the people who really should be there. Number two, making sure that they are completely focused on this and only this. There's no email, there's no phones, there, for example, if you're doing a call, it's better to do it if possible on a video call so that you can see everyone. And also everyone has responsibility for the meeting. So rather than having one person lead it for the whole time talking while others do whatever they want, send out notices saying, okay, you're handling this topic and you're handling this topic and Susan, you're handling this topic and Amir, you're handling that topic so that everyone feels like they have some ownership and they have to speak up and be part of it. I think in addition, it's great for people to start recognizing when they are an over-contributor or an under-contributor. If you're an over-contributor, it probably means that as you look at the time frame of a call or a meeting, if you're hearing your voice a lot more than anyone else's, it might be time to take a step back because there's some great other ideas and you need to yes and someone else's idea and hear from them. If you often don't speak at all in meetings, it's a good point to sort of think about what are the questions I could ask or how could I contribute differently so that my voice is heard as well? And then finally, one of my favorite suggestions, which I think is the secret weapon of life, is getting good open-ended questions together because that invites other people to contribute and speak. So rather than asking questions like, should we do the project, which is yes or no, you need to look around the table and say, tell me about your thoughts on making this project really great. And, and if they don't have pro- ideas around that, then, then that's a moment to say, tell me about why you think this project won't work. And you'll get lots of better ideas and insight into how people are really feeling in that situation. We'll be back with Bev after this brief message. Are you ready to make a difference in the world? The Voinovich School of Leadership and Public Affairs at Ohio University can give you the skills to do just that. The school offers a multidisciplinary approach where public policy, environmental studies, and entrepreneurship come together to educate tomorrow's leaders. Learn more about the Masters in Public Administration or Environmental Studies by visiting ohio.edu backslash Voinovich School.
So if you're an over-contributor, a, a good thing to practice is the open-ended question. And I would add to that actually listening to the answer, because sometimes people need help in, in, in working on the listening part. But if you notice that you're not contributing, and maybe one reason it's so boring is that you're afraid to speak, it feels like there might be a confidence gap. So I was thinking of you as the thought about confidence uh, came to mind. Uh, your iTunes videos, or the videos that are posted on iTunes, I don't know where they came from, you just exude confidence. Just It's like every <laughs> every minute you you just look energetic and happy to be there can you talk to us a little bit about how um, improv can actually help people build confidence absolutely and by the way if anyone listening to this wants to really get into improv i can't more highly recommend taking classes. There are now improv troops all over the country. When I was starting, there were very, very few. But now there are classes available in any city. Um, I can't vouch as to the quality of them, but hopefully there's a troop nearby and you can take a class or two and just get on your feet and try it. And what you'll learn is, to the confidence piece, Bev, is around actors understand that their bodies speak far more loudly than the words that we use, even in scripted work, that we have to be masters of our face, our tone of voice, our bodies, how we use our bodies, because the audience will hear our words, which are meaningful, but they are watching our bodies for what we really feel and what we really mean. And people forget how powerful the body is. Now, in addition, a lot of the research that I've done, and I was lucky enough to um, interact with Amy Cuddy, we've used a lot of her research as well around how the body can actually inform the mind, and actors know this. So you've probably seen funny scenes in movies with actors warming up and doing crazy things with their voices and, and stretching their bodies, but what we understand is that if I am incredibly nervous, which often I am, very, very nervous, to walk out in front of a group or work with a group, I throw my shoulders back, I smile, I hold my head high, and even though my stomach might be churning, when I walk out, everyone thinks that I'm perfectly confident and ready to go. And believe it or not, by holding my body that way, I'm releasing hormones that are tricking my brain into believing that I really am far more confident. It starts to calm my nerves. I get control of my breath and I'm able to be far more effective. So what your mom used to say about, you know, hold your body straight, hold your face up, smile, is actually quite, quite effective. And science is proving now that it can actually teach your brain how to feel better. So again, getting used to how you want your body to look and, and being intentional about it. Because I think a lot of people sort of stumble through life and don't realize that everyone is looking at you and they're making, they're making judgments about how you show up, what your attitude is. And if you decide not to be a little bit intentional about it, like maybe you want to walk in and look really confident in an important meeting. Well, you know, then take the time to breathe a little bit in the morning, stand up straight, maybe make eye contact with a few people. Then they're going to perceive you as being very strong and ready for that meeting. And it's a simple thing to do. You know, I've had uh, people use those uh, wonderful Amy Cuddy tips before job interviews. It's it's not just in giving a speech. It's like setting your intent and your presence and um, just the way you're carrying yourself before you go into a difficult situation. It 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 feels like 
you're talking about some elements that can be an important part of what people are looking for when they say, how do I get more executive presence? Oh, yes. Yes. And I have a lot of articles about executive presence on HuffPost and on some other uh, outlets like Mashable. And and what we talk about, too, is that, as you said, I think presence can be anywhere. And the main thing is you need to be who you are. Authenticity is the most important thing about presence. And if you're not a loud kind of person, don't try to be someone else. Be who you are, but be the best version of that. And, and I would say even before things like job interviews, what if you're just sitting down with a colleague? Have you thought about the first thing you're going to say or how you're going to walk into the office? Because even in small interactions, it really matters. So I want to go back to something you admitted a a couple of minutes ago, um, because you admitted sometimes you feel nervous. Oh, yeah. Do you have a sort of a routine or a practice or a, a mantra you say to yourself? Or uh, do you have a kind of a normal routine? Or how how do you kind of deal with being nervous? Because you certainly are, have dealt with it well. You and, and <laughs> nothing have I seen or heard have you hinted that you might be. What What's your routine? So everyone needs to have a routine. That's one of the things that we go through and teach and help people create for themselves is that you need to have a routine that you can fit into, say, 30 seconds or a minute. Because many times, especially I'm known in my community, people will see me at an event and say, oh, Karen, will you run up on stage and say a few words? So, you know, I might have a minute or five to prepare how I'm going to show up. Or I may have a month before I have to give a speech in front of, you know, hundreds of people in Taiwan, which happened just last fall. So any... Any way I am, no matter if it's long or short, I want to be able to either compress it or expand it. And it always has to start with practice and breathing and holding my body correctly. So if I have a lot of time, I can go through my visuals. I can practice on my feet and out loud with a coach. I can think about how I'm going to breathe, what I'm going to wear, all the things that matter, at least to me. And people can choose the things that matter the most to them. Now, if I'm in a very short time frame, What I want to think about is, number one, taking some deep breaths so that I can have that oxygen and really feel like I can breathe and stay grounded and not get lightheaded. And then I want to think about the first thing I'm saying and the last thing I'm saying. Because if I only have a minute or two to prepare, I know that I can improvise the middle, but I want them to have a super strong opening and I want them to have a call to action. So, for example, I take some deep breaths, I smile and hold my body straight, and then I think about what I want to say in the first sentence. And then I know I can kind of improvise a few things in the middle and what I want them to walk out remembering. And that's kind of my process. I And I really like uh, the way you've framed a need for um, having a, like a, well, a frame around remarks you're going to make. Um, how do you open and how you close? That's the toughest part. And that's the part people are going to remember anyway. So if you can nail those, the middle is, you know, uh, little less important if you've got the yeah, beginning yeah. and the ending. And some of our research, uh, Miller and Campbell did great research around what they call recency and primacy. And human memory is drawn to the beginnings and the endings. So I know that people are going to remember far more clearly the first thing I say and the last thing I say than they will the things in the middle. Well, in this conversation, we started with um, improv and yes, and, and I think people are going to remember that. I, I'd like to finish up with a, a question that maybe we can leave people with. It is pretty clear that you enjoy your work. 
And, you know, there's lots of information out there that suggests that if we enjoy our work, we're better at it. We're growing. We're learning. So do you have any um, uh, hints about how we can all have more fun in the context of our career? How can we enjoy our work? Oh, I'm so glad you asked that because fun and playfulness is another key tenet of improv. And I think no matter what the job, if you find that it's compelling and interesting, even sometimes we have to do dry projects. I do, I do too from time to time. But it's finding the nugget inside of it that matters. Why does this matter to me, to my company, to my team? And then also being willing to be playful. So playfulness for me is when oops happens or when mistakes happen or something goes wrong, you kind of have to throw up your hands and go, well, that didn't work. And bring around some people, help them help you, and try again. A lot of it is falling down and getting back up. And then I think the other thing, too, is really being willing to have good relationships with the people around you and and being playful and humorous and fun and bringing yourself, bringing who you really are, because then you're going to feel a lot more authentic and happy at work, and they are going to be able to see who you are, interact with that person, and come to have a better relationship. That makes so much sense. Knowing who you are, being willing to have some fun, and building those relationships, that can you know, transform uh, the way we go to work every day. Karen, it's been wonderful to have you here, and, and you've shared so much good information. Do you have any final um, thoughts or, or maybe um, some resources you want to mention before we close? Oh, absolutely. Thank you. So you can reach me or any of our ensemble through our website, which is www.improvedge.com. I'm also on LinkedIn and Twitter and Facebook under Karen Huff, H-O-U-G-H. You can also find Improv Edge there. And we would love to hear from you if you have a question or a need. And in addition to the three books that Bev mentioned, we also have the Yes Deck, which is a really fun deck of cards, about 29 cards with great ideas with everything from how to run a great conference call or meeting to how to get out of writer's block or do an improv game for an icebreaker. So that's a great resource to use. And we also have super videos on YouTube with inspiring ideas. So reach out. We hope that we can help you. And again, thanks so much for the time, Bev. It's been such a pleasure. Today, we've been talking with popular speaker, author, and leadership expert, Karen Huff about how saying yes might transform your career. Today's career tip is that there may be a gremlin in your head, a voice that pushes you to be defensive and quickly say no when somebody makes a suggestion that pushes you out of your comfort zone. You can bring new power to your career if you practice putting that gremlin on pause and you develop the habit of responding by saying yes and... This podcast is produced by WOUB Public Media. Adam Rich is our audio engineer. I'm your host, Beverly Jones, author of Think Like an Entrepreneur, Act Like a CEO.